This morning, our scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we're here together because even though we were strangers, you sought us. Oh, and we can't wait for the day when we'll be fully redeemed, we'll be glorified, we will be freed from the very presence of sin. By your cross work, we've been freed from the penalty of sin and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we've been freed from the power of sin, but we await the day where we will be freed from the very presence of sin. On that day when freed from sinning, we'll sing your sovereign grace. God, we pray for our government. We pray for wisdom. We pray for righteousness. And God, we want to pray specifically against the implementation of the Equality Act, knowing how detrimental that would be to so many people. Even people who do not know you, we believe that your way is best and the sexual ethic laid out in your word is for human flourishing. And to go against it will ultimately lead to depression and destruction in this life and the life to come. And so we pray against it. We pray that it would not pass in it. We pray that it would not be implemented. But if it does, God, I pray for your church. I pray for Christian institutions that they would stand strong. They would not compromise your word. They'd be faithful that you'd help them to suffer well. God, I want to pray for other churches in the city of Abilene this morning that are gathering that Christ would be exalted. I want to pray specifically for Redeemer Church of Abilene this morning as they gather that your word would go forth, the gospel would go forth from them and that your word would do its work and you would continue to build that church up that they would grow in spiritual maturity and that they would be brighter lights in the city of Abilene. We pray for the flourishing of that church and that this morning you'd be at work in a special way there. And I pray for any here this morning that have a false assurance, that, that think they're okay but actually have not been born again. Would you be kind to them this morning? And rid them of false assurance that they might have true faith and true assurance. It's difficult here in the city of Abilene to know true faith from false faith. And to pray for those here that they would leave knowing. And if not knowing, that they would be resolute to find out. And not leave here with doubts. Either knowing for sure that they've trusted in the blood of Christ by which they're saved. By which there is now no condemnation. That they wouldn't be wavering or waffling in that matter do that this morning we ask God thank you for your word thank you for graciously revealing yourself to us thank you for your promise that it's going to do what you send it to do 
Help us as we open it up, not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you in all our ways. May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but your word stands forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had anyone do the, the salt shaker trick on you? You know, you're there and you're enjoying a good meal and some rascal has loosened up the salt shaker. You go to get salt and you dump the whole thing on your plate. Some of you young bucks who hadn't heard of that have a new goal in life next time you eat. Sorry, parents, for that. But it ruins the whole meal, doesn't it? That's the frustrating part. It ruins the whole meal. That's because salt, it just takes a pinch to have an inordinate effect. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. As we walk through it, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 13. And we're going to see that this little small group of disciples will have an inordinate effect. Not just locally, but on the whole world. So we're in chapter 5, verse 13 to 16 this morning. Which really, though, is connected to the previous verses. It's really a fitting conclusion to what we saw last week in these Beatitudes. These marks of kingdom people. So as Jesus concludes this little section here. Two more marks of kingdom people. Two points about who we are in Christ. Salt of the earth and light of the world. Salt and light. So first, we are the salt of the earth. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. First thing, just a couple notes about these words right here at the beginning when he says you, most of the time in the Bible, the you is actually a second person plural pronoun, which most places can't really translate. But here in Texas, we can. So it's y'all are the salt of the earth. You all, you guys are the salt of the earth. It's a corporate faith. From first to last. But also notice it's a universal faith. We're the salt of the earth. Not just the salt of Galilee. Not just the salt of Palestine. This little motley group of disciples would multiply and eventually have a global ministry. And here we are. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Well, what does that mean? What's the function of salt? Well, salt then, as it now, actually has a whole lot of different functions. One of my favorites, especially as we go into summertime, is the, the salt gun. You have one of those? If not, you get one, $35 from Amazon. Take care of those Texas mosquitoes. Salt gun. But in the ancient world, they didn't have salt guns. Really had two main functions in the ancient world. Number one, preservation. Number two, flavor. Salt was especially important then to preserve food. They didn't have modern refrigeration like we have and like we take for granted. Except for when we have Snowvid 2021 and we lose it. Some of y'all were packing your food into coolers with snow. They needed salt as a preservative. The church prevents decay. We prevent corruption. The world just, it moves toward destruction because of sin. Because of sin, the world is bent on decay and degeneration. That's just the direction it heads. You know, my first, my first car was one of those where, you know, you're not really 10 and 2. You're like, you know, 12 and 4 because the alignment's out. It just wants to keep veering. Well, that's the way the world is. It just wants to keep heading that direction. In most scenarios, salt's a good thing. Jesus says that's us. We're the salt of the earth. 
It's a preservative. Prevents decay, slows decay. We need to be the people that keeps that from happening in all the various spheres God has placed us in. And so maybe it's the workplace. Whatever leadership role you may be able to serve in, volunteer committees, school boards, starting schools, on the playing fields, wherever we are, we're ambassadors. We speak the words of life. We show the right way. This is why we need Christians in the public square, serving the city in various ways. It's a preservative, but it also adds flavor. I mean, how many meals have you been at? We've heard those two words, need salt. Or maybe the other, the other side, too salty. Pro tip, by the way, if you don't eat salt on your peaches and your plums and your lemons and your watermelons, you're missing out. Don't knock it before you try it. In most scenarios, salt's a good thing. Paul says in Colossians 4, speaking of the way we, we talk, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech is speech that is seasoned with salt. In Mark 9.50, Jesus says, quote, salt is good, end quote. He said a little more, but he said that. So we're to be a salty people. Now, most people today use salty to mean upset. That's not what Jesus is meaning. We're to be salty in, in the sense that we are a beneficial influence in the world. We make things better. Wherever God places us, those places should get better. Those places should flourish. Again, because we know the ways of God. We know his word. And we know that he knows best. We're the salt of the earth. But Jesus warns us here. We must stay salty. Look again at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Unsalty salt is really just a contradiction in terms, right? Water can't lose its wetness. What Jesus is saying here is don't lose your distinctiveness. In other words, don't become worldly. Keep pursuing the Lord. Stay distinct. The way the Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, puts it, one of my favorite passages in this regard is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. After 11 chapters of gospel doctrine, therefore, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And here it is. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not, the Spirit says, do not be conformed. You see, the world wants to conform us. The world wants to squeeze us into its mold, and so we must be alert to that, and we must resist it. You know, when you go swimming in the ocean, you, you go out a little way, especially if you're not touching anymore, and, you know, 10 minutes later, you're looking at the beach, and you can't see your stuff, you can't see your umbrella, and you're like, well, it's way down there. I, I drifted, you know, a quarter of a mile in 10 minutes. I didn't even know it. That's what the world does. It's pushing you constantly to conform you into its molds. Do not be conformed. Instead, be transformed. And how does the apostle say it here? 
by the renewal of the mind. Do not lose your saltiness, but be transformed by resisting worldliness and resisting it entering your minds. Rather renew it. And renew it how? Well, of course, through the truth of God. This is why we're so serious here about the Bible. So serious about good literature and sound teaching because we're transformed by the renewal of the minds. I continue to go back to this definition of worldliness by a theologian, David Wells. He says this, worldliness, we could say unsaltiness here using the language of Jesus. It's that system of values and beliefs, behaviors, and expectations in any given culture that have at their center the fallen human being. It's man-centeredness is what it is. And that relegates to their periphery any thought about God. And here's the sentence. Worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. Worldliness is what makes sin look normal and righteousness seem odd. And friends, we are constantly, constantly bombarded with ideas and entertainment that makes sin look normal and then makes righteousness look odd. Most of what we hear and see from our culture is that which puts fallen man at the center and puts God at the periphery. My family watches uh, AFV, AFV, America's Funniest Videos, most Sunday nights, uh, partly because I'm fried by Sunday night. And so we just turn on the television and laugh at the expense of other people. And uh, last, last week we watched it and right afterwards uh, American Idol came on. I'm not an American Idol fan for a number of reasons. We just left it on. And I think it was the first, one of the first performers comes out and she's this military gal. And uh, that she comes out and she's about to perform. Well, she goes back to the dressing room. And she, turned, she changed his clothes into all this huzzy gear and comes back. And so the judge is like, oh, okay, now we're talking. Lionel Richie's just lusting his eyes out and she starts shaking your body in all kinds of inappropriate ways. And uh, to be honest, she could not sing worth a flip. But she got the gold card to Hollywood. Well, the next one was this more conservative country gal who could sing so much better and doesn't make it. Because in our day, worldliness wins the day. And we must resist it. We must resist the world. We must resist that which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem odd. Jesus warns us here. The king of the world, if salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. It's to be tossed out, trampled. No, we are to be the salt of the earth, first thing. Second thing, we're to be the light of the world. Look at verse 14, Matthew 5, 14. Y'all are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, what does light do? It shines, it exposes, it, it guides, it provides safety, right? Many of you with kids, they won't go to bed if their night light's out. Got to turn the night light on, right? Many adults are hesitant to walk on streets when the adult night light is out. We call them street lights. Provides Safety, people are lost in the darkness. They can't find their way. It's dangerous. Darkness is dangerous. Even in my own home, if I walk through the living room in the dark, I might lose a toe. <laughs> Heaven forbid, step on a Lego. But turn that light on, flip the switch, and the darkness is expelled. Light, by its very nature, shines unless you hide it. 
So just as Jesus warned us to stay salty here, he warns us not to dim the light. Look at verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give, it gives light to all in the house. He's saying it'd be silly to light a lamp and then just cover it up. That's pointless. No, you light it and you put it on a stand so it lights up everything around. And notice here, Jesus is talking to who? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the new community of his disciples here. You are to be the light of the world. Well, Israel of old was supposed to be the light of the world. Remember the purpose of the people of God. It's always been not about ourselves. It's always been about the outsider. And so think think about the biblical story here. God creates, fall, Noah. Then God calls out Abram, this pagan, this moon worshiper. By grace, he calls him out and he says, I'm going to make a family out of you. This is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. I hope you know it. I'm going to bless you, but the purpose of my blessing you is actually so that you will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. It was never just about them. The very existence of the people of Israel was to be a blessing to others, blessed in order to be a blessing. And he says, Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. And so what happens? They go into slavery in Egypt. Remember your storyline? Then they're freed and you have the book of Exodus. And they become a nation. And so in Exodus chapter 19, right before he gives them the law, he tells them that if you keep my commandments, you will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a distinct nation. The whole thing will function as a priest. Well, what do priests do? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a priest, obviously. We're Protestants. But in the Catholic church, let's say I were a priest, you would come to me. How and why? I would mediate between you and God. That was the function of an old covenant priest. They would mediate between people and God. And here in Exodus 19, the whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests. The whole nation was to mediate between God and the world. That's what they were to do. That was the reason they existed. Let me reread what Kelsey read. I love this passage. The very giving of the law was missional. Deuteronomy 4. Verse 1, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules. This is before the getting of the law that I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your father, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed them among you, all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who, when they hear of all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? See, Israel was supposed to be distinct. They existed for non-Israelites. 
blessed in order to be a blessing. They were given the law here, and one of the purposes of the law was to set them apart, to make them distinct, even the way they gardened and even the way they wore clothing. They were supposed to be a light to the nations, but if you know your Old Testament, they failed utterly. They weren't a light to the nations. They were just like the nations. They didn't show the wisdom of God. They disobeyed the law. The light bearers had become part of the darkness. Listen to the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 5. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. And she has rebelled against my rules and by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries all around her for they have rejected my rules. They have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you're more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations, you're worse than pagans that are all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, I am against you. I will execute judgments in your midst in the sights of the nations. They were put right in the middle and they were supposed to be a display people, a mediator. And they failed again and again and again and again. The history of the people of Israel is the history of idolatry. So Paul in Romans 2 rebukes them like this. He says, 217, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellence... Because you're instructed from the law, if you're sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Oh, how tragic. The purpose of Israel, the purpose of the people of God was to draw the nations in by their faithfulness to the wise law instead because of their idolatry and disobedience rather than drawing people in the name of God is blasphemed among the nations because of their unfaithfulness but God wasn't done God could have cut off his people and been done, but he wasn't. He made promise after promise, and he promised that he would come and he would restore them and he would renew them. I'm thinking really about all the Old Testament prophets here. He would come and he would forgive them and he would change them from the inside out. He would make a new covenant. And in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 42, 6, and 49, 6, and really all of chapter 60, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to send my servant, the suffering servant, who will forgive you and renew you, and you then will become a light to the nations. We, friends, the community of Jesus, the New Covenant Church, are the fulfillment of these prophecies. 
We are, he says, the light of the world. Unlike Israel, we will be faithful because of the work of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. That's the main difference, right? What's the difference between Old Covenant Israel and the New Covenant Church? Well, we have full and final forgiveness because of the work of Jesus, and we have the gift of the indwelling Spirit that they did not have. The gift of the permanent indwelling Spirit was a gift of the New Covenant in Pentecost. They didn't have it, which is why they were so unfaithful. But if we've trusted in Christ, we have been changed from the inside out. We will be faithful. That's why Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And it's because of him. It's because of his work. It's because we're united to him. In John 8, 12, he says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. The coming of Jesus is the coming of the light. In fact, we already saw that. Look a page over at chapter 4, verse 16 of Matthew. Quoting Isaiah. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death on them a light has dawned so we shine because he shines really Jesus is the sun we're just the moon we only reflect his light because of what he's done he has redeemed us he has made us a light and he's enlightened us first Peter 2 9 he called us out of darkness into marvelous lights. Colossians 1.13, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 Thess 5.5, 5, you, are, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Ephesians 5.8, at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Acts 26, 18, our eyes have been opened and we turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the Lord. And what's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of being salt and light? He tells us there in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's so that others will see. Why are we to be distinct? Why are we to be salt and light? It's so that the nations would see and would give glory to God. And that's really important. It's not so that they would see us and give glory to us. That's not why we're distinct. That's not why we're salt and light. That's not why we do what we do. In fact, next chapter, we'll hit this in 2023, chapter 6, he warns. Look at verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. In order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we're not doing good works to be seen. We're doing good works so that he will be seen. We're doing what we do that they may see and glorify God. Because, of course, he's the one who deserves the credit, right? Without his work, there would be nothing good in this room. There would be no good works. God's the one who deserves credit for our good deeds. Without him, we'd still be curved in on the self. That's why we sing, now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength, 
to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you. Ephesians 2.8, by grace, you are you saved through faith. Not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. It's all for him. Salvation is from him. Sanctification is from him. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already laid them out. We're not saved by works but we are saved for works and it's all of grace so that God will get the glory. In this sense, all of us are worship leaders. All of us are trying to lead people in the way we live and the way we speak so that others might honor God. Peter said much the same. He says that as we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, even as they speak against us, they'll see our good deeds and glorify God. That's what we want. Listen to 1 Peter 4.10, speaking again about what we do, but then at the end, the purpose as each has received a gift, a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Any gifting we have is from his grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order, here's the purpose, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We do what we do so that he might receive honor. Jesus said the same thing. As we bear fruits, his father is glorified. John 15. God gets the glory. This is why we exist. Your fundamental purpose. If I would ask you, what's your fundamental reason for existing? The answer should be to glorify God. To honor him in whatever you do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink. I mean, how menial is that? Or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I love the Westminster Larger Catechism. What's the chief end of man? What's the chief purpose of man? Why are we here? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So by our deeds, we attract others that they might glorify God. Maybe you're not a Christian and you've experienced the opposite. The deeds of Christians, they don't draw you in, but they actually drive you away. I mean, turn on the news. Doesn't it feel like some celebrity Christian falls weekly? I mean, the one that probably punched me in the gut the hardest was Ravi Zacharias. You probably all saw that. This man that went around ministering very effectively for years and years and years, saying one thing and then living an entirely different life. Once he left the stage, you've seen a lack of salt. You think that's yeah, all worthless. Guess what, friend? The Lord of the universe agrees with you. That's what he just said. He says it's worthless and will be thrown out. Counterfeits abound. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, which we'll hit in 2025. Jesus basically says that. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but only he who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Counterfeits abound. And so my word to you would be, don't dismiss the Savior because of the sinners he came to save. Consider him 
Consider him first and foremost. And as one pastor put it, I just saw this online yesterday, and I'm so glad that this is true. So glad that I can say this about this church. For every poor representation of Christ, there are a thousand infectiously beautiful ones. Get to know some Christians. Get to know some members of Southside Baptist Church. We're to be salt. We're to be light before a watching world. We're to be different, but we're to be seen as different. That's the whole point here. Jesus is definitely concerned with our personal holiness and our private life and our personal witness, but he's also concerned here with our public witness. We're not to isolate ourselves into holy huddles. To be a disciple, again, by very definition, is to be an outward-focused agent of the kingdom. We're to be distinct and distinct that others notice. And this is one of the reasons why biblically faithful Christians in days to come will be hated because we are so distinct now in a way that we weren't 15, 20 years ago. Well, how? What, how are we distinct? How are we different? How are we salty? How are we to shine? Well, glad you're here. Hope you'll keep coming because Jesus is going to lay it out for us. The whole gospel of Matthew, but even largely in this very sermon, Sermon on the Mount. I mean, look, he's already started. Really, look at verse 3. How are we to be different? How are we to be salt of the earth? How are we to be light of the world? Let's look through what we've seen and what we will see. We're those who are poor in spirit, verse 3. Verse 4, we're, we mourn over sin. Verse 5, we're meek. Verse 6, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7, we're merciful people. Verse 8, we're pure in heart. Verse 9, we're peacemakers. Verse 10, we're not afraid of persecution, but we'll remain faithful under it. We take the Bible seriously. This is what makes us distinct. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. Look at verse 19, actually. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we take the Bible with utmost seriousness. Let's just walk. Look at the subheadings of where we're going. Let's walk through the Sermon on the Mount briefly. How else are we to be salt and light? Verse 21. Rather than angry people, we are those who seek conflict resolution. Verse 27. We are those who do not lust, but pursue purity in heart. Verse 31, we're those who stay married and don't get divorced. Verse 33, we're truth tellers. Verse 38, we're not vengeful people, but peacemakers. Verse 43, we don't hate our enemy, we love our enemy. Chapter 6, verse 1, we're a generous people, but we don't give that others might praise us. Verse 5, we're a people of prayer. Verse 16, we fast, but not to be seen. Verse 19, chapter 6, we're eternally focused, and we lay up treasure there, not here. We don't worship money. Chapter 6, verse 25, we're not anxious people but we're those who rest in the care of our heavenly father. Chapter seven, verse one, we judge ourselves before we judge others. Seven, verse seven, we pray. Seven, verse 12, we love. 
We give of self for the good of others. Chapter 7, verse 15, we don't tolerate false teachers. We care for capital T truth. Verse 21, we don't just say, Lord, Lord, but we obey the Lord. And verse 24, we build our house on the rock that is Jesus Christ, not the shifting sand. That's distinct, isn't it? That's countercultural. That's salt shaker trick distinct today. It's not politically correct. But that's okay. Jesus calls us to be a contrast society. We're different. We just need to embrace it. Let's bring weirdness back to the church. If the world says sin is normal and righteousness is strange, we ought to be considered strange. We tell our kids, fam- our, our family regularly, we're different. Our family's different. So-and-so, so-and-so, so we're different. We're salty. We're a peculiar people called out of darkness into marvelous lights. It's really the most basic definition of the word church called out. Word is ecclesia, that's what the word church is. And the verb, you can hear it in there, ecclesia. The verb in there is kaleo, and it means I call. We are the church. We are the called out ones. Jesus said, I have chosen you out of the world. And I don't get too discouraged about the world. This actually excites me. It gives us an opportunity to be salty and to shine. What I do get discouraged about is the church. Not our church, praise God, but too many churches and too many Christians, they're trying to erase the distinction between the church and the world. They want to avoid the hard parts of Scripture, avoid whatever parts of Scripture that are rubbing against our culture most. They want to just soften it out. They want to make it very easy to join. They don't want to provide accountability. No one practices church discipline anymore. I mean, most Christians today don't even know what church discipline is, even though it's taught all over the place in Scripture. They want to be seeker sensitive, catering to a consumer mindset, lowering the wall between the church and the world. But friends, Jesus calls us to the opposite. We're actually called to keep that wall high, to be distinct. There should be a stark difference between the church and the world. Our effectiveness in the world lies precisely in our distinction from it. And at the end of the day, people who are not interested in Christianity are not interested in watered down Christianity. The Spirit through Paul in Philippians 2.15 says that we shine as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation as we hold fast to the word of life. Then in the first century in Philippi and now, twisted and crooked. So we need to be distinct and we need to stay distinct. And Paul says here, how? By holding fast the word. Our core values get at much of this as a church. Who are we? We worship Jesus in all of life. We reject compartmentalization. We're not Sunday only Christians here. We're striving to worship him. Seven days a week, all of life. We're ruled by God's word. We're not autonomous self-rulers. No, we submit to him. We're disciples who make disciples. We're in authentic community. We're committed to living on mission. We give sacrificially. We don't hoard. We're not materialistic. 
And we don't serve ourselves, we serve the church. Friends, this is who we are. We're a contrast society. And this Sermon on the Mount is meant to make us that. This Sermon on the Mount is intended to change us. It is intended to produce virtue in us, to produce a certain type of people. So here we are very early in this story, right? God sends his son, Jesus, who launches a community that will be spirit-filled, where God's will is established and modeled and practiced and displayed. We are a tangible, a visible sign. We're a preview, a trailer, a signpost, a foretaste of God's coming new creation of the kingdom. The new world is to be seen in advance in the way the people of this Messiah do life together. We give off the sense of the society to come. We're a poster of the kingdom, a preview of eternity, a community that shows forth his sovereign rule over all areas of life. And so we now faithfully model to the world what it means to be a people, what it means for a people to live in the world in obedience to the God who saved us. So be salty and be bright. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to live on this side of so much of your work and history. And we can see how you've been faithful to form a people and we can see how they were unfaithful and we can see your remedy for that unfaithfulness by the cross and by the gift of the spirit, by justification by faith alone and by regeneration. So now we can be faithful to you. I want to pray specifically for Southside that you would increasingly Make us distinct. Make us salt. Make us light in this city. We want to draw people in. Ultimately, we want to see you praised. And so would you, in your kindness and in your grace, be pleased to use fallible, fallen people like us to draw people in that you might receive more glory. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen.